thing. And so you saw uh, just a little bit of an intro of what that is. Uh, but before we kind of dig in, because we're going to be in this for the next five weeks, I want to give you just a clear kind of understanding of what it means uh, to have an awakening. And so the definition is this, the act of waking from sleep. Now, some of you are already asleep this morning, right? Not yet, but he hasn't preached that long. So uh, when you go to sleep during my sermon this morning, there will be an awakening. Amen? So stay on point. Stay with me this morning. Uh, another definition is the act or moment of becoming suddenly aware of something. Have you ever been, uh, had something misunderstood for your whole life and then all of a sudden this reality comes before you? Uh, for me, when I was a kid, I thought all cats were females and all dogs were males. And it wasn't until about middle school that somebody said their cat's name was a female name and I laughed. Why do you think my cat's name is funny? Because cats are all girls. And he was like, are you kidding me? So I had this awakening. I had no idea that there were male cats up until that point. I blame my parents and the culture environment that I lived in. <laughs> Whatever the place, we have always all come to an awakening, an awakening of understanding. And so in a spiritual uh, understanding or in a church world, it's the recognition or realization or coming into awareness of something, a rude awakening to the disagreeable facts, a renewal of interest in religion, especially in a community of revival. Now, I want you to think this morning because there may be something in these next five weeks that causes you to awake, that causes you to wake up. You're going to be challenged in some of your belief systems, some of the things that society and the world has told you to believe in, and you need to wake, awaken from those. Have you ever been in a really deep sleep where you're just snoozing along and then something awakens you? Anybody been like this? Uh, for me in our household, uh, we had moved in and we had hung a picture and it was actually above the door well uh, before we go into our bedroom. And so this was probably about three o'clock in the morning. And this picture falls and clangs and we're sitting there in the bedroom going, for me, I, w I wake up and I go, it's game time, Jeff. Protect your house and your pajamas with no shirt on. You got this. You, I, I kind of went into protect mode. And as I looked around my house, I saw nothing but a picture had fallen. And I was like, we're going to burn you, picture. I just... You don't know what to do, but you've been awakened. This has happened a couple of times uh, to us in our household uh, where we kind of go into protect mode and make sure that the kids are taken care of. Anybody with me? Anybody have these things that have happened to us? This morning, as we study scripture, there's going to be a passage of scripture that's going to cause you to just wake up in some areas. And so I hope that you'll wake up with this. When it comes to a spiritual waking, awakening, I want to give kind of a clear understanding before we go into this. When you have placed your faith and trust in Christ, the Lord has awoken your heart. He has awakened you to what the light is and what darkness that you've come from. When you become a child of God, there is this inheritance in heaven that is given to you for all of eternity. And I think that this is the most important awakening that any of us can go through. 
And so maybe you came here uh, just out of an invitation from a, fair, a friend or, or somebody drug you here, somebody told you that they'd buy your lunch afterwards. Whatever case that brought you into this place this morning, I want you to know the most important thing that could take place today is for you to place your faith and trust in Christ. Amen. Look, we'll talk about this more here in just a little bit, but I want you to understand all of us need an awakening to take place in our life. And so in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14, in the second part of this verse, we have to understand what our awakening should look like. And so I love this, and I, I'm going to say it in an emphatic way, in a, a place that I hope that these words will ring throughout your heart the way that they have mine over study. He says in the second part, he says, Awake, O sleeper. Now, if any of my students are in here, have your parents ever awoken you in a really unkind way? Wake up, get to school, take the blankets off, awake, 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 and you're finally like, fine, I'm getting out of bed. Listen, this is scripture talking to you in a manner, in a fashion, in a way that would tell you, awake, oh, sleeper. He says, and arise from the dead. Imagine that, that you would arise from the dead, your darkness, the sin that you have been carrying. And he said these words, and Christ will shine on you. Now, before we dig too deep, we have to understand what, we're, what areas we're sleeping in. What are the areas that were just causing us to be sleeping? Is anybody's life busy right now? Look, busyness causes deep sleep. And sometimes we get so busy in life that it's just continually pushing at us and we forget the things that are of greatest importance. We get to this busy stage and listen, I have a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old. I don't know that life could get any busier than what it is right now. If mommy's not a taxi, I'm a taxi it's just this constant going back and forth to places, driving a 15-year-old to a job that I don't get paid for, but I still have to sit around and wait and go pick her up. Anybody with me? Should our kids pay us for that? When we think about this, we get busy and we get busy and we're fulfilling everybody else's expectation. What everybody else wants to do. And maybe you've been to this place where you're sitting there going, I'm tired, I need a break, I just want to be home by myself. We get busy. Busyness is one of the greatest things that causes us to fall asleep at the wheel. Have you ever been driving along? And maybe you're on an important phone call or just something's taking place where your mind is just so focused on what's taking place that you forget where you're going. Or you know where you're going and you get there and you go, how did I get here? I think for most of us as Christians, we are asleep at the wheel of what God has called us to do. It's said that most of those people that do work are working harder than ever before right now. In most jobs and most scenarios, if you are diligently working, you are pulling three to four people's jobs all at once. We're trying not to miss out on anything. We're trying to stay connected to all of the social events. We're trying to stay connected with everything that takes place. But can I tell you, you are asleep and you are focused 
on the wrong things. Allowing ourselves to continually be distracted. Now that second part where he says that he would shine upon us. Now if I were to ask the question and say, how many of you want God's grace to shine upon you? Just slip up your hand. I mean, just all of us would want that, would genuinely desire that. But listen, if I told you to wake up and do the things that, would, that God would shine upon you, most of you would go, no, I'm good. Listen, being a Christian is a call to an awakening, a calling to do what God's purpose is. And so we have to stop being asleep at the wheel. This series will focus on the areas that we need to awaken. And so to start in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, we see this great biblical example of a people, of a generation, of a culture that was asleep. To give kind of context to, context to what this is, a guy named King Hezekiah had come into leadership. And the people of Israel, if you know anything about the people of Israel, they would fall in love with God, they would grow close to God, and then soon after that, they would begin to pull back. They would begin to worship other gods. They would begin to put things in place that took the place of who God is. King Hezekiah had this great burden for the people of God to wake up. To genuinely awaken their hearts. They had gotten so busy at this point that they had stopped doing the Passover. If you read the whole context of about four chapters that go along with this one. You'll see the context that says that the priests weren't even prepared for the Passover. They were so busy managing the temple. So busy taking care of everything else that wasn't important that they stopped worshiping God. I think in our lives, we are more wealthy, we are more blessed, we are more affluent than ever before, and we are more busy than ever before. Anybody remember being a child and going to your grandparents' house and thinking, man, this is boring. They just sit around all day drinking coffee and reading the newspaper. And I remember my, my, the greatest thing that my grandfather would do would be to take me fishing or take me to eat Chinese food or something along those lines. But I remember there was a generation that was before us that knew how to pause and knew how to rest. The reality is, if we don't find ourselves busy at every turn, at every situation, we feel like we're missing out. I think God is telling us sometimes to stop and to listen to him. Listen to his voice. So the same thing was taking place with the people of Israel, and they were getting distracted with all of the events that had come to play. And the interesting thing that most of the time in this situation, we want to look at the outside world and begin to blame the outside world. And listen, I can have these conversations. Society has changed everything that's in our world. Hollywood and politics is the problem. We think that the generation, the younger generation is the problem. But listen, the thing that is a preventing an awakening that's taking place at Pooler Bible Church in our culture is sin. Catch that. 
the thing that keeps an awakening from taking place in a community is a community of Christians that are harboring secret bitterness, anger, and infidelity. You know the thing that was keeping the people of under King Hezekiah's rule from turning back to God was the sin that was running rampant in their lives. Now listen, at this point in the sermon, most people that are dealing with their own individual sin are going to begin to tune me out. But before you do, listen. If you don't deal with your sin, God will. Listen, I love you, I care about you, but I am tired of seeing a whole congregation, a whole culture, a whole community live like nobody matters. And God is saying, why won't you live according to my scriptures? King Hezekiah found himself in this exact same predicament, this exact same understanding. And so I'll read a few of these passages of scripture to give us kind of the context and the understanding that goes with this. Hezekiah, he begins in verse in chapter 30 and verse 1, Hezekiah sent to all of Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover of the, to the Lord. Now understand the context of what the Passover is. This is a feast that they would come together and it would celebrate God sparing his people. Remember, under this time period, when the plagues of Egypt began to take place, this was a beautiful picture of God's grace. So he continues, For the king and his princes and all the assembly in all, his, in all of Jerusalem had taken counsel to keep the Passover in the second month. But listen, for they could not keep it at that time because the priests had not consecrated themselves in sufficient number. Catch that. The priests, the men of God, the Levitical priesthood were the people that did not take the time to deal with the sin in their own lives. Continues. He says, and the plan seemed right. He said the, 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 the king's plan seemed to be right to the king and all of the assembly. So they decreed to make a proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba to Dan. And the people should come and keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel and Jerusalem. And they had not kept it as often as prescribed. Now understand that the king kind of takes this a little bit seriously. He says, listen, we are going to celebrate the Passover. We are going to do this. We are going to glorify God. We are going to make sure that we are completely focused on worshiping him. Now imagine all the people at the time period are blaming the priest and saying, the, the priest didn't consecrate themselves. The priest didn't do their job. They didn't take care of it. There was resentment. There was anger. There was bitterness that was coming into this. And they were going, I don't even know if I want to do the Passover anymore. I don't even know if I believe in God. King Hezekiah sent out this invitation for all of them to be a part of it. So he continues with this in verse 6. He says, So couriers went throughout all of Israel and Judah with letters from the king and his princes, as the king had commanded, saying, O people of Israel, listen, return or awaken. Make sure that your hearts are right. Awaken to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, 
that he may turn again to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Then he gives a warning. He says, don't be like your fathers of previous generations. Make sure that you are the one that is not faithless. And as I was reading this passage of scripture, I began to kind of think about my generation. I'm 44 years old and I'm, I'm, I'm to this point in life where I've got middle schoolers and high schoolers. And I think about the people that I went to high school with. And I question, are they serving the Lord? Are they even involved with the church? Are they even involved with a community of believers? It saddens me to think that what if my generation was the next generation to say, hey, don't be like them. They drifted from the Lord. They wandered far and they never came back. And then he calls them and he uses this term, a stiff-necked generation, people that were into their pride. Verse 8, do not now be like a stiff-necked as your, as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and come to his sanctuary. I love what he says in verse 9, for if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your children will find compassion with their captors and return to this land, for the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will return away from his face if you return to him. So we see this kind of beginning to take place. He says, God, be faithful to us and turn back to him. So I want you to understand this morning, you have a cause for an awakening. If you have been far from the Lord, if you have drifted far away from him, if you have allowed busyness and sin and all of these things to run rampant in your life, you have to make the decision to turn back to him. You say, Jeff, this is a little bit forceful, and usually you're nicer and kinder and gentler. And I would tell you, this is scripture, not Jeff. The reality is that we have to turn back to him. You say, Jeff, I'm kind of happy and content living just how I want to live. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 6. I love what he says in the context of this passage of scripture because he gives us a, a real understanding of what this should look like. He says in verse 6, he says, let no one deceive you. Now, has anybody ever been lied to? Has anybody ever been deceived? Listen, all of us, whether you see something on social media and you think that it's true, whether you see something in the world and you think that it's true, whether you have trusted somebody and they have completely burned you, all of us have been deceived. But he tells us, let no one deceive you with empty words. Can I tell you what the empty words are that most of us have been deceived with? is that you can follow Christ and live however you want to live. Look, Scripture tells us a complete different example. Listen to what he says in this. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. 
Therefore, do not be partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. One of the greatest deceptions that's taking place in our society, in our world today, is that as long as you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, you can sin and be a part of sin and be a part of everything that you want to be a part of. Let me be truthful with you. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. We don't evaluate our lives with our own likes and our own dislikes. We evaluate our lives with Scripture, period. And when we disagree with what Scripture says, we need to look internally and say, I need to fix me. I don't need to change the words of Scripture. I heard this illustration from a pastor that I listened to. And I've tailored it to, to make it work for us. It says, if I were to come in late this morning and tell you that the reason that I was late is that I had a flat tire on the side of Highway 80 this morning. Right there between Falkville and Bloomingdale. When I was changing the tire, I stood up kind of drifted into traffic, and I was hit by a Mack truck this morning. And it really hurt. But I finished up putting the tire on the car, and I came here, and I'm ready to preach to you this morning. You would come to one of two equations here. Either I'm lying to you, or you would think that I was deceived, that I was asleep, I had a dream. The reason that you would come to that conclusion is this. Because when somebody gets hit by a Mack truck, they look differently than they did before. Amen? If you have placed your faith and trust in Christ, you look different. Listen, I'm not talking about your appearance. I'm not talking about your outside. Here's what I'm talking about. When you start a relationship with Christ, you look different. When you submit to God, your life is drastically different. I was having this conversation with one of our elders at breakfast this week. He was talking about when his dad accepted Christ. He went in the next day and he was known for playing pinochle and gambling his furniture away and all these things like that and drinking to the point where he could barely walk to get into the house and his friend said hey you're gonna play pinochle with us this afternoon and he said boys I'm done with that I'm a child of God listen it's not about pinochle or alcohol or any of that he wanted to make sure he glorified God I'm talking about people that are working on getting sin out of their life. Have you ever worked in an environment, and so this is a little bit unique and a little bit different for me because I've been in church life, and most of the people that I work with or hire on staff are believers. Notice I said most. I questioned some. No, just kidding. Just a joke. But have you ever seen somebody and been around them at work you just notice something was a little bit different about them? 
They've stopped being so aggressive with you. They've started showing grace. They've stopped cussing in your environment. They're trying to work on things. You see this sin begin to take over or or just remove from their life, and there's a joy and a countenance on their life. Look, the greatest misconception is that you can get saved and nothing can change. The reality is that when you know Christ, when you place your faith and trust in Christ, immediately a joy sets in. Look, I'm talking about people that are working on getting sin out of their life. I'm talking about people that love worshiping and learning the scriptures. I'm talking about people who hunger for fellowship with other believers. I'm talking about a change in your life where everyone notices. I think, personal opinion in this spot here, most churches have tailored their services, their church, to look as much like the world as they possibly can. And I would tell you, we've done a great disservice in representing Christ. Look, we need to look like Christ. And sometimes that's far from what we live in and far from the culture that we're in. So my concern for you is that somebody has shared empty words with you. And that you've believed them. Look, it's time to wake up or face the wrath of God. One of the things that I study, and maybe I'm just a a church nerd, but I study church history and biblical history. And I would tell you that we have kind of a challenge to walk as children of light, but in my studying, I study the Great Awakening. If you don't know what this is, during the 1700s, the people that were in our country were completely dead to who God is. Churches were closing at a rampant rate. Pastors were stepping out of ministry. People were running rampant with sin. And they have what's called the Great Awakening that took place. I'll tell you the thing that was kind of eerily similar is that they were dealing with a virus at that time called smallpox. God used it in some ways to get their attention. Say, hey, listen, you can't continue to live in your sin. You can't continue to live this way. And here's what took place. There was a pastor named Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. And they're two that are known for, at this time period, preaching in in an incredible fashion. The interesting thing, that one of the most famous sermons of this time is a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I would challenge you to look it up and to research it. What's interesting is that the pastor did not come with a passionate response. He stood up in the midst of a congregation and he read it in a monotone voice and he sat down. But the context of the sermon was what was powerful. He pointed out that people need to stop pretending and deal with their sin. 
this morning, you have been deceived. And that the sin that you're allowing to run in your life, that you've become comfortable with. Now, the interesting thing is that I haven't dug into any individual area of sin this morning, but God is speaking to you on what you need to deal with. It's time to awaken our souls. It's time to strive for living a life without sin involved. Now you say, Jeff, there's no way that I'm going to be perfect. And look, I promise you, I understand that more than you'll ever know. I understand that you're going to struggle. I understand that you're going to deal with this for the rest of your life. Paul talks about this very clearly. He says, I have a thorn in my flesh. The things that I don't want to do, I continually do. The things that I desire, I struggle to do. Listen, all of us are in this exact same position, but for some reason, our culture has just adopted an, a welcoming and an understanding and saying, sin, you can stay with me as long as you want. Please understand, that is not what the message of Scripture tells us. He tells us to stop sin. Let me close with two quotes from J.D. Greer on this topic. Nothing drives out the presence of the Holy Spirit like unconfessed sin in the church. When you think about why the church is not exploding, why the church is not growing, why the church is not moving in the right direction, the reality is it's not based on the pastor or the programs or the elders or the, the deacons or any of those other things. It's because we are allowing sin to run rampantly in our life. Second quote. Revival and awakening always begins when God's people get serious about their sin. In the 1700s, 50 to 60,000 people trusted Christ for the first time. They were opening churches. Why? Because when the sermon centers in the hands of an angry God was presented, the people didn't walk out and say, ah, that was a good one. They put their face before the Lord. They said, I'm done living this way. I'm going to reflect Christ in everything that I do. And I'm going to get serious about dealing with my sin. And I beg you and I plead with you as your pastor, have the same response. Quit holding on to your sin. Listen, your kids see it, your wife sees it, your family sees it, the people that are at work around you see it continually. One of the things that I did early on in ministry is 
I had a friend of mine who was an accountability partner. We met once a week. I would tell him, hey, I'm working on this sin this week. And he would work on this sin. We'd come together every week and he'd say, how are you doing? I was like, dude, I don't even want to be around you. But it provided some accountability. Armin Tiff has a little bit of a book. It's almost like a calendar. And every sin that you can imagine and every sin that you can think of is listed in one area. And then he gives a passage of scripture and an understanding of how to overcome each one. So I beg you and I plead with you this morning. Awaken your hearts. Stop sleeping in the areas of sin in your life. And turn towards Christ. If everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes just for a second. I know that this morning's message has been very pointed. It's interesting that even in my preparation, I sent this out to a friend of mine and said, too aggressive, too hardcore for people. But the concern that I have this morning is not that I've offended you or I've hurt your feelings. The concern that I have for you this morning is that as the Holy Spirit speaks to you in these passages of Scripture and you know the sin that you're harboring, you know what you're dealing with, that you would walk out of here and not deal with it. Listen, churches are full of people that don't want to be serious about their relationship with God. I tell you this morning that if you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ and God was speaking to you this morning saying hey it's time for you to stop living on your own and submit to me that the greatest decision that you would ever make would be to trust him I've never seen God let anybody down never seen God live, never seen God go against his character. And he has been faithful for longer than any of us have ever existed. So I ask you this morning, as the worship team sings, as we open up this altar, whatever sin that you're holding on to, time to put it at the foot of the cross and leave it. Colossians has this beautiful passage of scripture that talks about being new creatures in Christ. When we baptize somebody in this place, the, the imagery is this, that we are being cleansed, that we are being awakened, and that we are a child of ask you this morning are you living as a child of God are his blessings continually shining upon you 
person that you put to death that you left behind. Please don't walk out of here today without beginning to deal with your sin. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you humbled this morning, Lord, knowing that you're speaking to me just like you're speaking to everybody in this room. Father, may you awaken our hearts. Help us to stop sleeping at the wheel and allowing sin to run rampant in our lives. Father, may we get serious about living for you. May we not be the generation that they look at and go, don't be like them. They didn't take God seriously. May we be the generation that they look at and says, those people trusted God. Those people depended upon God. Those people reflected the image and the glory of God in everything that they did. Father, deal with us this morning. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen.